0: Hey, good morning, morning. it's good to see you guys, we're, that's better, Uh, we're in a series called Waking Up, Becoming Fully Human, and this is about um, uh, really growing up into who we're created to be, and so this week we're, we're talking about authority, who should I trust as my guide for believing and living, and we're looking at the temptation of Jesus. So let's begin with a question. Where would our favorite heroes be without their guides? Where would Katniss Everdeen be without the salty wisdom of Hamish Abernathy? She wouldn't have survived the Hunger Games. Where uh, would Harry Potter be without the wise and sacrificial example of Dumbledore? And Hagrid, for that matter. Would he have survived Hogwarts? Would he have become... The wizard uh, that he was created to be. What about Cosette from Les Mis? Would she have become the woman of courage and leadership and virtue, thriving and surviving through the French Revolution, were it not for the fatherly rescue and example of Jean Valjean? These fictional characters highlight something that all of us need, every last one of us, as we seek to become fully human, and that is guidance. Personal, loving, wise, strong, virtuous guidance that is just right for our situation. Without our guides, we don't know what to do in hardship. We don't know how to become a person who is uh, made uh, more virtuous and more courageous in suffering rather than more embittered Without our guides, we don't know how to process failure. Without our guides, we don't know what to do when we're facing huge decisions. We all need guides. Without them, we're making it up as as we go along. So, is there a Dumbledore in your life? A Yoda in your life? Is there a Jean Valjean? Is there someone showing you the way? Is someone who cares about you, believes in you, giving you instruction just right for you? Maybe that's a painful question. You hear that question and your heart says, I wish there's a hole in my life right now. I don't have enough guidance. Someone's not caring about me, showing me the way, calling me up and out. Guides are in short supply, aren't they? The good ones, the right ones, the virtuous ones ones that care about us, they are in short supply. So where does that leave us? That leaves us vulnerable to following the wrong guides, the charlatans, who, who either because they mean well or, or simply because they're taking advantage of us, they give us bad information, they give us bad advice. Anyone here gotten bad advice before? Anyone here have been lied to before by someone who is presenting themselves as an authority figure or a, or a wise person? The lack of good guides leaves us vulnerable to bad guides. We need to grow in discernment about this. Which guides should we choose to listen to and which guides should we be on guard against? How you answer those questions will in many ways determine the quality and nature of the rest of your life. It will determine who you become because guides are so influential in shaping our character. As a 30-year-old man, Jesus Christ faced these questions. Which guides do I trust and which guides don't I trust? He had just received his father's full and unconditional blessing. And then he was led into the wilderness to prepare for the biggest challenge of his life. He was going to step into becoming the savior of the world. He was going to become the king of kings. Israel's true king, the judge of the nations, the glory of the nations, would come to him, how in the world would he survive? How in the world would he know the way? Had anyone done this before? Israel was called to to fulfill many of these functions, and they failed time and time again. Who would be Jesus's guide? Who would show him the way, and who wouldn't show him the way? It's important for us to look at his example and hear his teaching about guidance, about who to listen to and who not to listen to, I'm praying that along the way, you and I grow in discernment because we've got to ask the same questions that he asked. Who's a false guide? Who's a true guide? Who's the person? Who are the people that we listen to to become fully human? And who would dehumanize us with crafty words? So let's consider together three false guides to avoid. Three false guides to avoid in our journey to becoming ourselves, to becoming fully human, The first false guide is the guide who appeals to your appetite, the guide who appeals to your appetite. How should we relate with our appetites? We have many cravings, many, many ways we want to be filled with food, with connection, with other people, with drink. We have many cravings. How do we relate with those cravings? This first guide, this guide that appeals to our appetite, is the guide that says, treat yourself. I'm not gonna say it the other way. Uh, You know what I'm talking about. Treat yourself. You are your cravings. And it's your destiny to fulfill them. You'll become fully human when you stop suppressing the desires you have and just give in and go for it. Then you'll be happy. Quite frankly, you'll be less of a grump And um, you'll be more free. You'll be more yourself. Treat yourself. So what did that look like in Jesus's life? Let's take a look at Matthew 4, verse 1 through 3. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the, the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So here Jesus has been led by the Spirit, the Spirit that came upon him in the form of a dove at his baptism, communicating and ministering the Father's blessing. Never left him. It's still with him. It's in him, leading him, guiding him. The Spirit has led Jesus into the wilderness. And the wilderness in the Scriptures our a place of renewal. It's a place of connecting with God, a place to restart, a place to solidify the relationship between God and his people. A wilderness is also a place of testing where God tests the loyalty and the character of his people to determine whether or not they're ready to enter the promised land. Jesus is led by the Spirit, and for 40 days and 40 nights, he's fasting, which means that he's feasting on the Father's love. It's like there's a table for him, a table in the wilderness where even though he's not consuming food, He's consuming his father's blessing, his father's presence, his father's love. And out of this place of, of consumption of his father's love, he would minister with strength and power. But he's also being tested. The tempter comes to him at the very tail end, right before his father's going to send angels to minister him. Right before that happens, the tempter's going to come to him and say, You're the son of God, right? And let me get this straight you've gone without food for 40 days. I'm sorry. You're the son of God. Why would you go that long without food? You have the power, don't you? See, look at these stones here. You could turn those into bread. He called you the son of God, right? He gave you his spirit. You're the Lord of all creation. Why don't you just go ahead and feed yourself? Why don't you go ahead and treat yourself? You see what Satan's doing here? Command these stones to become loaves of bread. He's inviting Jesus who created the world with the word of his power, who put all things in motion who made those stones to be stones for a reason. And he's saying, use your power to bend the creation that you've made. Bend creation until it satisfies your appetite. Bend creation, do whatever you need to do with the created order until your belly is full. Treat yourself. Do you know what happens when we treat ourselves over and over again? There is a direct link between our overconsumption, our wrongly ordered consumption, and the destruction of creation. Not only our own bodies, but the bodies of others, especially the poor. When we start abusing creation, when we start overindulging, the people who pay the biggest price are those who are the most vulnerable. You can see this um, everywhere you go, wherever there's a huge, you know, massive overconsumption, a demand for goods and services, be it for food or drink or sex or connection or technology, there's always someone who doesn't have the option of paying the price so that other people can be satisfied. Turning stones into bread is still a temptation for us. Treat yourself because you are your cravings. You are your desires. This is putting the body above the soul, putting the body above the spirit, putting the body above the mind. Don't think it through. You don't have to obey your principles. Your principles obey your cravings. And this is a disordered human existence. When we live according to our cravings, Uh, we do not become fully human. There's another way to relate with our cravings and our appetite. The false guide says, treat yourself. The true guide says, train yourself. Train yourself as it relates to you. Train your appetites. Train your cravings to serve God. Train your uh, appetites to serve your full humanity. So in Deuteronomy 8, Jesus is gonna quote from Deuteronomy 8 here to refute the devil. When you look at the context of Deuteronomy 8, here's what the father is saying to his children. He's saying, look, I led you into the wilderness, right? A- after Egypt, I led you in the wilderness, and you got hungry. You got hu-. So the Deuteronomy in your bulletin is not Deuteronomy 8, so you don't need to flip back there. I'll just summarize it for you. Deuteronomy 8 says, you got hungry in the wilderness, right? And then what happened? Then I fed you with manna. And then what happened? Then you trusted me like you didn't trust me before. There's a certain way that God reaches us through our unmet appetites to demonstrate that he's a good father, to demonstrate that we can trust him more than we trust our cravings, more than we trust food, more than we trust drink, more than we trust connection. This is so important for us to learn. Otherwise, we say with our mouths that we trust God, but, our, but we say with our actions that we actually trust uh, whatever it is that we're consuming or over-consuming. And so God said to his people, Israel, I let you get hungry, then I fed you with manna, uh, and then you trusted me, and then you know what we're gonna, about to do? We're about to go into the promised land where there's grapes and pomegranates and milk and honey and amazing things, but, don't, but now you know not to bow down and worship the pomegranates, right? Now you know not to worship the promised land. You need to have a healthy distance here with creation, You need to have a healthy distance with the promised land. You can't trust it too much. If you trust it too much, you'll bow down and worship it, and you'll debase both creation and yourself, okay? Jesus knows that this is the Father's way. The Father wants us to trust him, and the Father is saying to us, train yourself. Train your appetite, because it is through your appetite's hunger that your soul will be satisfied. It is through your appetite's hunger that your soul will be satisfied, now, a lot of us have, um, have overindulged in some way. We've, we've followed, we've served our appetites, we've listened to the false guy, we've treated ourselves. And um, I love Jesus's response because his response is a word of grace and hope to all of us who are overindulged. Here he says in verse four, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus himself lived off of uh, the words of God. He metabolized it for his soul, and it gave him strength to fulfill his calling. And we can return to the words of God as well. This morning, Jesus, or the Father says in Isaiah 55, come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money on things which are not bread? There's an invitation for us who have overindulged to leave behind uh, treating ourselves and the the debasement there and to come to the Father through Jesus to receive his forgiveness and to be satisfied in our souls in a way that we never have been before. So even this morning, you can, if you've never prayed, you've never talked to the Father before, you're not sure who Jesus is, you can say, Jesus, I wanna leave behind serving my appetite. I want you to train me for glory. I want you to make me fully human. And I want that wine and milk that comes from your mouth, that comes from your hand. I want to trust you. And he'll answer that prayer this morning. We'll all uh, take this invitation together, all who want to at least. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be beginning the season of Lent. And the season of Lent really is a chance for our appetites to be reordered. Uh, it'll start Valentine's Day, so easy to remember. Um, but all of us have an opportunity to learn with our appetites that are unmet in kind of a new and maybe a little bit of a painful and annoying way that we don't live by coffee alone. We don't live by cheese alone. We don't live by Netflix alone. We live by the words of God. We live by the presence of the Father. And it is the Father's voice that can be our guide through Jesus this morning. Leave behind, and you need to shut down (laughs) that first false guide that says treat yourself. They're lying to you. Uh, So don't be manipulated through your hunger. But there's another false guide. False guide number two is the guide who shades the truth. The guide who shades the truth. This guide will use smoke and mirrors and um, uh, sleight of hand to cast cast shadows on the truth. They shade the truth and they throw shade on the truth. As masters of language, They'll appeal to authorities that mean something to you, and they'll make a plausible argument that will lead us astray. The guide that shades the truth brings confusion with them, and so we need to be on guard. Verse 5 The devil personifies this guide. The devil took him, Jesus, to the holy city, the holy city of Jerusalem, that is, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. This is likely an imaginative spiritual vision. Can't know for sure, but uh, Satan has taken Jesus, just transported him in an instant to um, one of the heights of the of the temple, Herod's temple in Jerusalem, and uh, it's a setup. It's whether it's a spiritual vision or a literal one. It's a setup for the suggestion that he gives them in verse six. Satan said to him, "If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down." Now, what does he do now? Why should Jesus throw himself down? Well, Satan's going to quote scripture. Not only he's gonna quote scripture, he's gonna quote from Jesus's version of the scriptures, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. From Psalm 91, a cherished psalm, (laughs) for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. So this beloved psalm here is, if you look at the context, it's referring to God's protection of his people in danger. They're gonna walk through danger, but God's a protector. He's gonna protect them. So, but what Satan is doing here is he's quoting out of, he's taking this out of context and he's using it to shade an aspect of God's character to manipulate Jesus to disobey God. Um, Hey, you're the son of God, right? The father must be obligated to send his angels to protect you. It says right here in the scientific manual of Psalm 91, just test God, test the science Do an experiment on the airbags to see if they work. Why don't you just jump off? If you're the son of God, that is, maybe you're not. How is this wrong? Satan is highlighting one aspect of God's character at the expense of another aspect of his character. He's highlighting the fact that God's a protector, but he's shading the fact that God needs to be honored, that God is a father, he's not an experiment. And he's not to be tested, he's to be hollowed. So verse seven, Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus embraces the full revelation of who God is with all of its paradoxes and tensions. On the one hand, God is a protector. On the other hand, God is not to be tested. We don't take his protection for granted. False teaching about God always removes the tension points. Heresy throughout Scripture or throughout the history of the church has always been half true. Removing the tension points of Christianity, removing the paradoxes of Jesus, either highlighting that Jesus is fully God or that Jesus is fully man, but not holding those together. Either highlighting that God is just or highlighting that God is merciful, but not holding that together. Highlighting that God is holy, um, but not highlighting that God is love, or vice versa, not keeping those things together. Christianity contains paradoxes that are essential to maintain and hold together if we are to hear the authentic voice of Jesus, not the shaded voice of Jesus. The uh, Pharisees and the scribes, they were false guides. They were highlighting all the rules. They were hiding uh, all the rules around the ceremonial law of, uh, that was revealed in the law and the prophets, but they were missing the character of God. Jesus was unsparing with these religious leaders who claimed to be an authority, who spoke as if they had authority. And he said, These are blind guides. These are wolves in sheep's clothing. Jesus' metaphor, not mine. Wolves in sheep's clothing. That means they're pretending to be safe and they're actually destroyers. We've got to be careful about this, friends. You know, um, in Nazi Germany, there was a big temptation to merge Christian doctrine with Nazi ideology. And so people would, uh, there were ministers, and we've talked about this in another series, that would compromise the tension points found in Christian doctrine so that it could match some of the racist ideologies coming from Hitler and from the Nazi regime. Dietrich Bonhoeffer called it for what it is, He called it cheap grace. He says this about cheap grace. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ. And cheap grace still presents itself as a a more reasonable form of Christianity for you and me. Who shades the truth in your life? Are there voices, people, podcasts, books, friend groups that shade the truth, highlighting one aspect at the expense of another? I wanna encourage you to show discernment and beware whenever the tension points are removed. Look instead for guides that show the truth. You gotta leave behind the guides that shade the truth. Look for guides that show the truth. That is, that with their teaching and with their life, and uh, you can see the fruit of holiness in their life. You can see the death and resurrection being played out in their life. You can see the character of God, his love and holiness, his justice and his mercy authentically being played out in their life. Look for people who are living in union with Jesus, not those with the creative critiques of Christianity. Look for those who are submitted to Jesus and bearing fruit for Jesus. Look for those who show the truth, turn aside from those who shade it. So the first false guide appeals to our appetite. Second false guide shades the truth. The third false guide is the guide who shows you the shortcut. (laughs) The guide who shows you the shortcut. So I remember about five and a half years ago when Laura and I said yes to coming back to Chicago to plant a church. And I felt so vulnerable in that moment. I felt so overwhelmed with how bloody that could get, how, how risky that could be. You know, just venturing out on this on this calling, I knew that in my heart that it was a calling from God, but I also did not want to pay the cost. I didn't want to make bad mistakes, I didn't want to hurt people, I didn't want to suffer, let's be honest. So I started doing what all church planters do, which is buying lots of books. Bought lots of books. I found a book on Amazon that made me feel like it was gonna be okay. The 10 most common mistakes made by new church starts. Okay, what should I do to avoid suffering? It's a helpful book, I learned some things. It didn't keep me from suffering didn't keep the process from being a little bloody, hard. That's where all the beauty was for for Laura and I and the launch team. That's where we learned the power of the Holy Spirit. That's where we learned the way of Jesus. I wouldn't trade those lessons for the world. When you consider the calling God has on your life, maybe it's bringing kids into the world and and raising them in the faith. Maybe it's uh, beginning marriage, or maybe it's going to grad school, Maybe it's starting a business. Maybe it's walking with the poor, seeing them restored. Maybe maybe it's neighborhood renewal. Maybe it's becoming a person of courage and virtue. Is there any part of you that could be tempted as you look at that journey to take a shortcut, a shortcut around the mess, a shortcut around the mundaneness, a shortcut around the suffering? Are you tempted by the shortcuts? Shortcuts are designed by charlatans that prey upon us in our fears. Shortcuts are designed by charlatans who know too much about our allergy for suffering and monotony and risk. What would it have been like for 30-year-old Jesus to fathom his calling? He's called to be the savior of the world. Are you kidding me? Has anyone ever done that before? And not failed? The calling to be Israel's true king, to fulfill all of the the mandates the father gave Israel perfectly, to to be the spotless lamb, to be the ruler and judge of the nations, to be the suffering servant and the king, bringing those things together. No one's ever done that before. Who would show him the way? In three years, he's supposed to do that? And what was the father's plan to become king of the world to become savior of the world. Uh, Walk around Galilee, make disciples, step by step, touching lepers, healing the sick, preaching, getting exhausted, praying on the mountain with the Father for an all-night vigil. Is that really how you save the world? Going to the cross, suffering unimaginable pain and separation and torment as the Father turns his face away? And as you bear the sins of the world on your, on your shoulders, being betrayed, after you've washed people's smelly feet, that's the Father's way to become savior of the world? Is that really, isn't there another way? Couldn't there be a shortcut? Some kind of way, some kind of way where it could happen without it getting that bloody, stinky, messy, and with so much suffering. Turns out there is a way. Maybe, verse eight of Matthew four. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Again, likely a spiritual vision. There's no mountain on the earth that gives you a view of all the nations of the earth. But it was a a very high mountain of sorts. And Satan said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. All these, you know what, I'll just give them to you. Heck, I'll just give them to you right now. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. The devil showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He didn't show him their sins. He didn't show them their sufferings. He didn't show Jesus how harassed all the nations of the world were like sheep without a shepherd. He just showed them what could be extracted all the things on the surface. And he said, you know what? The Father's way is long and bloody and painful, and you're the son of God, right? So why don't you just take these from me? I'll just give them to you. All I need from you is just a little bit of gratitude. Can you just go ahead and get down on your knees? You don't have to get on the cross. You don't have to make disciples. You don't have to go the slow way, the mundane way. You don't have to live a step-by-step life of washing feet and forgiving sins, of meddling with the little people. Just you and me making a deal right here and I'll just give you the glory of the nations. Yeah, I need you to get down and worship me. I'm giving you the nations after all. Last time I checked, getting down on your knees and bowing down and worshiping me is easier than going on a cross. So why don't you take the deal? Why don't you take the shortcut? Just give me your heart, Jesus, and I'll give you the world. Jesus responded with a measure of authority that that is uh, unnerving and, and beautiful. And it comes from his deep submission to the Father's will for him. In the core of Jesus's being, he is submitted to the Father's way. And out of that submission comes authority. And that's always how it works in the kingdom of God. We cannot exercise authority without submission. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Jesus is loyal and committed and and he is submitted to his father. And then his father, um, just like at the baptism, his father um, ministers to his son and verse 11, the devil, lef- the devil left him. Um, that's all he could do. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Jesus would submit himself here to the Father's will, and he would submit himself again and again to the Father's will. When Peter said, you won't go to the cross, Jesus said something similar to him, get behind me, Satan. He's submitted to going to and through the cross And three years later, he would be standing on another mountain, having passed through suffering, having passed through hell, having defeated death, having made disciples, having prepared these apprentices to lead the church. And and he said, uh, all authority, not just on earth, but in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The Father, in the Father's way and in the Father's time, I have received the authority that I am now Uh, exercising for the life of the world. All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Therefore, you go, make other disciples, make other apprentices, um, and teach them to observe everything I've commanded you to do. Again, no shortcuts. um, As I have submitted to the Father, so you are submit to what I am giving you to do. Make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And guess what? I'm never leaving you. I'm sending my spirit I'm going to be with you. He's with us this morning. His spirit is with us this morning. And now we have a way. We have a way to find the guides that we need. Jesus himself has become our guide. Jesus himself knows who we are, everything about us, every thought, word, and deed. He knows our potential. He knows our calling, even when it's still unfolding for us. He knows how suffering is going to Forge us into become the people, men and women of wisdom and courage and strength. He knows all of that. He has a vision for our life, vision for your life, and a vision for mine. And he is the guide. He is the guide that can that we can trust, that we can follow as we grow to become fully human. And he's entrusted his church with other guides, who themselves are submitted to Jesus. You know anyone in your life who's following Jesus? They're a good guide to follow. Do you know anyone in your life who is honestly and fully uh, surrendered to Jesus's will for their life? People like we were talking about before, bearing fruit, follow them. Is there a false guide in your life? Someone who's appealing to your appetite. Someone who's shading the truth. Someone who's, who's, who's um, making suggestions about shortcuts that you could take to fulfill your call, ways to get around the suffering. Think about that for a moment. Is there a guy that you need to unsubscribe from? Stop taking their phone calls. Stop following their posts. Who's putting themselves forward as a worthy person of, of wisdom, showing you the way? The way back to becoming fully human is to return to the Father through the Son. To return to the Father. Where would we be without our guide, Jesus Christ? We'd be um, led astray, we'd be dehumanized. We would choose a life of ease rather than a life of formation. And all of us need the forgiveness of going our own way, choosing our own path. All of us have an opportunity to return to the Father through the Son, to become his apprentice, to go his way, the way of death and resurrection, to be fed at his table, and to step by step, day by day, whether we're suffering or rejoicing, become who we were created to be, fully human, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.